Hi, everybody. Welcome to May to It May Interest You to Know. I'm Tony Marcolini. I'm joined today with my co-host, John Hartman, Marty Mangello, and a very special guest, director Jody Binstock. So let's go. Welcome back, everyone. We're joined today with Emmy-nominated director Jody Binstock. Welcome, Jody. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Great. I think we really wanted to bring you on today because I think you represent uh, in a group of women who are uh, uh, unnoticed female directors in the entertainment industry. Um, you are one of the few that have led a, a monstrously successful career. Uh, and we were hoping that you talk to us a little bit today about your career, your projects, uh, and also about being a, a woman, woman in a what I consider to be an almost male-dominated area. Well, um, almost, largely. Yeah, fair enough. Very true. Uh, so that's why I thought it was really important to get you here to talk. But if we could hit some of your projects first, I'd love to do that. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think web therapy was a favorite of mine, uh, probably a favorite of most of the audience. Um, you got to work with Lisa Kudrow from Friends. Uh, what was that like? That was remarkable. That was a um, that was a very unique project that we worked on. Uh, Lisa Kudrow and Don Roos and Dan Bukatinsky, uh, a triumvirate of extraordinarily talented people had a concept and this was before anybody had done um, any web series at all. We were one of the first, I think maybe the second or third of all web series and certainly the most star studded. And their idea was that we would do it at like a video chat. And when we started, it was brand new and no one had, had done anything like that. Um, and we were originally gonna shoot it using video webcams, which nowadays everybody is completely used to, thanks to COVID. Um, but then nobody knew anything about it. And so, uh, but the quality of the cameras wasn't nearly good enough. And so we ended up shooting it um, in a very unique way. We actually designed it so that Lisa would be in one set and the talent, the other talent would be in another set. We started off in our studio, in our offices in uh, West Hollywood, the first season, shot everything in the, in the offices. And then when we got a second season and a third and a fourth, and by the third season, Showtime picked it up to be a half hour. Um, and that's when we reconfigured everything and put it into half hour format as opposed to web series format. Um, so it was a very unique conceit from the very beginning. And of course, it was because of Lisa's um, great renown in the world that we were able to get some of the celebrities that we got which was just incredible, you know, working with people like Lily Tomlin and uh, Billy Crystal and Meryl Streep. I mean, it's as good as it gets in this business. Oh, for sure. I mean, and you're kind of credited with, I think, launching 
the format, uh, you know, be like you said before that, it really there really wasn't much by way of web series. And I think your series proved that it could be successful. I mean, I think you won a bunch of awards for it. You're nominated at a minimum, but I, I know yes, that. Yes, we were nominated for an Emmy. We didn't win it, but uh, but we should have. But should have. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but yes, it was it was absolutely remarkable. And the incredible thing about it was that uh, Don and Dan and Lisa would um, would arc the stories. So we so the actors that came in uh, would come in for one morning or one afternoon, and we shot the entire um, seri web series, which was like I don't know if I remember right, it was fifteen webisodes, about seven eight minutes each, and we would shoot one actor in the morning and one actor in the afternoon. And we would do that for an entire weekend because getting these people's time was incredible. But we really took the limitations of what we had, which was we had a gorgeous set, which was uh, were designed by someone named Lauren Fleming. Um, and they would sit at one camera like we're doing right now and they would improvise the entire thing. So the storylines would be arced but they, and they knew where they had to hit with the points they had to hit the tent poles and they had to start here they had to end there but how they got there was completely improvisation wow so that was that was remarkable watching these actors do that kind of thing that's in terms of just doing a great job and expected to come from them i mean who was who were you most impressed by I was impressed by so many. I mean, because improv is not easy and a lot of people are not uh, very comfortable with improv because you're kind of left there holding the bag. Wow. Um, but I mean, you know, Meryl Streep, I never would have expected her to be that savvy at improv, but she was incredible. I remember sure. she came in, the, she had some ideas uh, um, that were rumming, you know, rolling around in her head. And she, um, sorry, my dog's barking. Um, and she, um, dogs. <laughs> she came into the set and she pulled it, an electrician aside and said, let me ask you a question and, and asked him a question about electricity and then incorporated it into her improv later in the, in the piece. Um, <laughs> yeah, she was incredible. I mean, all the, all the friends were incredible. David Schwimmer was remarkable. Um, playing a completely different character than you've ever seen him play. Um, Billy Crystal, as you can imagine, was as good as they get. But I think, you know, next to Lisa and Dan Bukatinsky, who are improv aficionados, um, Lily Tomlin, she just, sure. what she brought time and time again, because she played a consistent character throughout it. She played the mother of Lisa yeah. Kudrow. And, um, so she came in season after season and the wigs that she would bring and the, and the props that she would bring. She was incredible. She was just wow, and such a doll to work with, really such a doll to work with. Well, and, and let's talk about moving from there. I mean, you've got a lot of notoriety, I think from Z nation as well. Yeah. Who'd have ever thought that I'd have been the zombie queen, but there you go. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, well, and it just goes to show, you know, kind of riffing off of what you said earlier about females and female directors. Um, you know, one of the, the hardest things for female directors is getting the opportunity to do action. 
because you know people think that women all they can direct are emotional or maybe comedy um but to be able to do an action piece is you just never get the chance, get the chance. and with z nation i was able to do um you know great action scenes and what a fun playground to play in you know that i would have never uh, imagined that that would have been something in my career path but you take what presents itself to you sure. and now, uh, did you have i to love me some zombies now yeah <laughs> Everybody pretty much does. It's 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 a theme in a lot of entertainment that's out today. But I think that Z Nation was one of the again front runners. I think you're always ahead of yourself. <sighs> you're also you're blazing paths everywhere. Um, yeah. Thanks. Did you have to convince somebody to uh, let you direct, or was that just a given that you were going to? Direct? No, it was not a given. It's never a given. Um, sadly. Um, but so the way that came to pass was, um, and this is kind of a, you know, kind of also riffing off of your thing about women in the industry. Um, early in my career, I got uh, the Disney Directing Fellowship, which was uh, a very coveted thing that only two women got a year. Um, and that led to Boy, it, that, Boy Meets World, right? You that's right. It was to do multi camera, which is very different than single camera. Um, it's more proscenium, more like a stage play, and the directors don't have as much creative flexibility in multi-camera, unless you're Jimmy Burroughs or you know some of the biggest ones, Pam Fryman. Um, but the it's done on a proscenium, and there's four cameras that are staged, and you just switch between the cameras mm -hmm. um, and go from set to set to set. In single camera, you know the camera's always moving, and the camera is what directs your eye more than the more than the actors and the script necessarily. And not it's always the script, always the script. Let me start with that. Um, but uh, so the the multi camera stuff was uh, a real you know different opportunity for me, and it was certainly my foray into um, what I thought would be you know a very burgeoning directorial career. Um, I got pregnant right while I was doing Boy Meets World. And um, and after I had my daughter, um, came back into the business and the door had shut on multi-camera. It was a weird time. Um, it was right when, um, what's uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came in and they started replacing all of the, um, a lot of sitcoms with nightly game shows. And so the market dried up a lot and it was typically only the heavy duty players that got opportunities there. Um, so aside from having my daughter, it also pulled me out of the market, the market for a, a while. And that's a whole other conversation we can have. How do you, ha how do you have it all? Because uh, I was a single mother. Yeah. Um, and that's and, a yeah, that's you know, that's it was a tricky, tricky, tricky thing to figure out in a career, um, and I made the choice to raise my daughter for the first few years because I didn't want a nanny doing it, and sure. I made the best decision of my life. She just graduated last night from Chapman University um, wow. in creative producing, and she's going to go on and kill it. Um, and it's, it's my thank you very much. Yeah, it was pretty sublime. Um, and I got to, uh, you know, one thing that I do feel is that 
all of the glass ceilings that I've bloodied my head on over the years, at least she won't have that in her career. And so, you know, it was worth it. It was worth it. Um, but right. so, so that's sort of how my career segued is I went from doing uh, Boy Meets World and then I, my very good friend, Dan Bukatinsky and Don Roos, who I ended up doing web therapy with, um, I said to them, you know, you get pigeonholed guys. I can't seem to get out of this, the multicam averse uh, universe. And Dan had this idea of, he had seen a play called Call Waiting starring Caroline Aaron. And he thought it would make an incredible, very unique um, uh, movie. So we set out to make a feature film, but what was unique about it was that there's only one actress in the entire movie. Um, and this was, you know, a good 15 years ago and, or more, and um, the movie did incredibly well. We created a second character. Typically when you're, when you're writing something that is a play and you want to open it up to be more filmic, what you do is you go to, in this case, it was somebody who was on the phone all the time. You would go to whoever she's on the phone with and that's how you'd open it up. But we didn't want to do that. We wanted to keep it very similar to a one woman piece, tour de force piece. And so what we did is we opened it up to another character, the actor playing the, act, uh, the character. And um, it was really amazing. And Caroline Aaron, who, now you know from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she plays uh, Joel Maisel's mom, oh, the sure. husband's mom. Sure. Um, anyway, so long story short, the movie did incredibly at film festivals. We won Santa Barbara, which is a very, very big one, um, and a couple of we won several others, and that and a subway token to get you uptown because <laughs> nobody nobody knew what to do with it. It was a movie written by women. Uh, directed by a woman, starring a woman, and it was a one woman piece. And there were no distributors that knew what the hell to do with it. So it sat in my drawer for a very long time with all these accolades and all these awards. Wow. Come COVID time, and they, uh, they were looking for more projects, you know, sure. because there was a dearth in the marketplace. And because of Caroline's renown now, um, she, you know, Amazon published it and put it on as uh, an Amazon Prime movie. So all these years later, it finally saw the light of day. It's called Call Waiting, and you can see it on Amazon Prime. Um, and uh, cut. what's that? Did you release it as a director's cut? Um, well, kind of, it kind of was my cut, period. <laughs> it was one of those indie ones where you kind of do everything. Um, that's, that's no, Glenn Garland edited it. That's Glenn Garland edited it, but I, it, it definitely is the director's cut, for sure. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, uh, how long have you lived out there now? Well, I started off in New York um, and was there for 12 years, and I've been out here for 20-something yeah, so quite a while, 25 years. Yeah, yeah, you have. Yeah. yeah, I worked out there for Kathleen Marshall um, for a while, and she was just wonderful, uh, magical, magical lady. Yeah, I'll um, bet. I've heard, I've heard wonderful things. I'm sorry, about yeah. It. Yeah, so Kathleen, I'll call her Kathleen Marshall, but Kathy Kennedy. But um, 
I wanted to ask you, like, what are your opinions about what you've seen with Harvey Weinstein's casting couch being removed from the element, and that's not a requirement to get a part anymore, all the way up to, you know, now we get other methods of distribution and we don't have to beg studios, you know, to pick us up. Um, what have you seen over the, the you, you know, you're talking about like 30, 36 years even in this business. What are your opinions on these, on these items? Uh um, well, there are a bunch of different items there. I mean, I think that the uh, Time's Up was really, really the, the clincher. I mean, it was definitely the Me Too movement and everybody come piping yes. up and saying, you can't do this anymore. What that did was, it, right. And what that did was, you know, for the first time in my career, um, suddenly people were open to women for the wow. first time because there was some, there was a comeuppance and it was, you know, um, I don't know if you've seen that documentary that, um, that they did through Gina Davis's company. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, they just released it on Netflix last week. Um, oh gosh, I'll be on the prowl for it. That'll be. Yeah. It's yeah. about, it's about women. It's called, it starts, this changes everything. That's the name of it. This changes okay. everything. And it's really a remarkable study of specifically female directors and the trajectory that we've had to go through. Um, and the, um, the, the I, I think it's time's up more than me too. It's like, finally, it's our time. Yes, um, Time's Up is very organized. I get their newsletter every week. Um, they have a lot of stuff going on. We just went into our second executive director, you know, which was a major change. Um, but still the focus is on very aggressive, you know, holding people accountable, predominantly men, to put them in orange suits with cuffs and shackles, which is right. where they belong when they're disgusting. Um, I agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I've donated several times and, and every penny of it was worth it to see another clown in an orange suit, you know, hop, hobble in to the courtroom because you really can't walk correctly. It's called it's called the frog walk. The frog. John's a criminal attorney, Jody, so he would know. Ah, OK. Good to know. I'm putting that in my book in case I need you someday. Um, Let's hope not. Let's hope that is right. Realistically, um, do you have to live in L.A. if you really want to do well in the business or can you do it from Indiana or from, uh, you know, Missouri? Well, it's a it's a very interesting question because. Um, yeah, I mean, you do have to, you know, if you live in L.A., you get more opportunities to network, you know, and this business is about networking, period. It's about, you know, staying in people's faces and staying relevant and staying current. And when you live elsewhere, it's harder to do that. However, um, there are now new hubs like Atlanta. I mean, if you're in Atlanta right now, you're in the heart of it really? because there is so much production almost as much production going on there as there is in LA or New York. Same with Vancouver. Um, so there are new hubs that allow you the same opportunities to, you know, rub elbows with people and, you know, um, chat, chat people up and stuff like that. Um, you did a Christmas movie, I want to say, uh, for Lifetime, maybe Snow Globe Christmas. Did, did you do right. that? In, did you do that in Vancouver? 
I don't no, know. No, no. Funny you should ask that because, well, you probably haven't seen the movie, but. Um, I did see the movie, but I don't know why I was connecting it to, to Vancouver. Well, the irony of that was that that was done. Um, that was my first foray back into directing after I took a, that, about a 10 year hiatus to raise my kid. Um, and the people at the Global Asylum, who are the Sharknado people, are the ones that um, that gave me my first opportunity to direct again. I'll always be grateful to them for that. Um, but they also do extraordinarily low budget stuff. And this was one of those. Um, so we had to make Christmas in Saugus, California, in the <laughs> middle of Santa Clarita uh, in August. Uh -huh. and we were sweating bullets and um, um i think our uh, i think our our art department budget was like six thousand dollars which is typically what you know a morning costs on a television show in an art department um and so we had to make we couldn't turn the camera around because we would have to snow the entire background so we had to shoot everything into buildings and snow just what was around it it was it was crazy. That was crazy, but that was a wonderful uh, experience with Donald Faison and Alicia Witt, um, and it was great. We had a great time doing it. It was very fun. Sure, I remember you had I think a, a YouTuber. Uh, I, our handle I want to right. Brizzy maybe Brizzy Voices. Yeah. Anna her. Brisbane. That's right, and that, and that's <laughs> How the did first. You know her? Um, you know, she did a project, Surviving Sam. Uh, she was going to come on to a project of mine briefly. So we were connected through that. And I knew she was coming out in the movie, which made me watch it. Um, oh, which, funny. Yeah, which then ultimately led me to be familiar with your work. That's so interesting that that's the way you, you found me. Because yeah, she has um, a very small part in the movie. but I mean, Well, I and it was her very first um, acting thing. Right. And, uh, and we had a great time. She was terrific. She was just terrific. Yeah, well, she praised, you know, she definitely praised you a lot. And I mean, it caused me to check the movie out. And I said, wow, this is really well done. Uh, and then, you know, you, you, very you very seldom hear of female directors. Uh, so I think that's another reason I was drawn to, to you and following your career, which, of course, I have since then. Well, right on. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> And that's a big reason we wanted you here, because I think you exemplify that for other women who maybe want to get into directing, it's no longer the impossible task. Um, you know, you, what, what well, it's still pretty tough. It's still pretty tough. What um, and right now in the climate, I'm sorry, what, what were you going to ask? Uh, you know, I was just hypothetical. There's a woman just graduated from Rutgers, uh, English major, has some ability, but she has absolutely no contacts. What advice would you give this generic person about how they can proceed if they want to get into directing and be, you know, successful, make a living? Uh, has has she ever directed before? No, just graduated from college, has a has a degree, and can write, but that's really the extent of it. What should she do? Well, writing wise, I mean, it all starts with the script. You know, um, if you're if you're you, you, the thing about filmmaking is that it is a collaborative sport. It is a team sport. It's not an individual. The thing about writing is you can write by yourself. You can write in your own home. Um, and, you know, when you're a, a painter, you can paint. <laughs> but filmmakers require a ton of other people. You know, between the director of photography, even the most minimal crew, you've got to have a sound person, you've got to have a lighting person. Um, and 
the way, you know, film schools are obviously a way to do that. Um, and they have some film schools that are not universities. You know, I think there's something called the New York Film Academy and things like that. And the, the value of those kind of programs is twofold. One is you get a crew to work with. And the other thing is you get a crew to work with, meaning um, those people then go on and do more things in the industry. And as I just mentioned, it's all about contacts and all about um, who you know and and who, you, who the people you know know. Um, and so that would be my biggest recommendation is to get into one of those things. And you gotta, you gotta make a movie. You know, you got to, if you wanna direct, you gotta direct. My friend, Michael Goy, who's a very well-known director and uh, cinematographer, <clears throat> and he shot several of my things. As a matter of fact, he was the one that was so instrumental when I did Call Waiting and saying, you know, Jody, stop talking about making a movie and go out and make a movie. Just do it. Um, don't take no for an answer, which I'm still yeah. living by his axiom. Um, in this, at, even at this point in my career, because you're only as good as the last thing you did. You're only as you know memorable as the last thing you did. Um, so, um, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you. So, I mean, unfortunately we're out of time, uh, which I regret uh, that we don't get to spend more time with you. I think we all had so many questions still to go. I hope that you're- I just, I just want to ask her, Tony, is there a plug for what she's working on right now? Thank you for asking. Um, yeah. Yes, I am working on um, a movie that I wrote called Hashtag Sib Trip. And um, we have two of the four leads, uh, engaged so far, and I, I'm not allowed to say who they are yet, but um, my hope is that it will be something that comes out in 2022, if not 2023. So it's a feature film. It's a, a, a poignant comedy. I'll give you the log line. It's um, the story of an 18 year old who keeps getting Instagram pings from her um, biological sibling that she comes to discover is her sibling because of her anonymous sperm donor father. And they meet and they're like oil and water and oil convinces water to go on a road trip to meet their biological father. And they get in the car and go and the mothers find out and they follow. Oh boy. Uh, so it's a double buddy road trip movie. Um, that is uh, yeah, there's the log line. You put it right. up. Thank you. I did pretty much. good with that, huh? That's, <laughs> that's impressive. You know, you know, I love used that. To, Kathy used to kill me. She's like Marty. When Steven fired me, it was horrific. I was the crappiest <laughs> PA. I could not type anything that he had said or write it down correctly. And then later on, I come back. And now, of course, you know, her and Steven are like this, but she's like, I had to be terminated and thrown out. <laughs> so. Well, I hope you'll come back and talk about the movie uh, when it gets a little further along. Uh, and God's ear. Good, because we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much for your time. You. It's a pleasure. It's Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you. Good luck with everything, y'all. Thanks so Thank much. You so much. All right. You guys be good.